Superman and the Quick Bunny. Welcome to FW Team Up, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm Siskoid. And I'm Michael Bailey. Taking you through a classic superhero team-up, Superman and the <laughs> and the Quick Bunny, uh, <laughs> from Superman Meets the Quick Bunny, published by DC and Nestle in 1987. <laughs> Michael, uh, it may be no surprise to you that this won the Fire and Water Patreon poll about which team-up we should cover in April, which is the, the most foolish of months. Yeah, I... I uh... I'm not surprised either. I mean, you, most people see the quick bunny and I think they probably, you know, it's just like, well, I want to go for that. I, I I thought there were other good choices. And in fact, I think I'll do a lot of those uh, during the year anyway, you know, just because uh, I was thinking about them and I'm going, well, you know, if, if it doesn't win the poll, like I kind of still want to do it. Um, yeah. It's, the thing to remember about polls in the audience is, uh, you know, they can, they can make certain decisions, but at the end of the day, it, it, it's, it's your call. <laughs> this was a fun comic anyway, right? Oh, absolutely. And, and, and <laughs> it's almost kind of disappointing that I have this as kind of a digital copy because I would have liked to have tried the puzzles. Print them out and... <laughs> I guess I could do that, but you know that that would require me actually thinking of doing that. So, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Uh, in each episode of FW Team Up, one panelist will pick one character to defend. So, in this case, Michael, who's your guy? Uh, my guy is the Quick Bunny, just to throw everyone off. <laughs> so, I will take Superman to throw no one off. And as is customary, we preface with a reason or reasons why we like the guest character, or indeed. The product he represents. Uh, Michael, are you, in fact, a quick chocolate milk fan? Uh, yeah, actually. It, it was something I loved as a kid. Because and this is going to sound weird. It was a drink I could make myself. You know, okay. you, you, you would just, you know, you could take it out of the cabinet and you could spoon it into your milk and you mix it up. And there's something about that process that always made me feel like kind of a little mad scientisty. You know, it's just like I'm making potions or whatever. We didn't have it often because uh, I was part of a family of four kids uh, and giving us unlimited amounts of sugar would be bad. So uh, but I liked it then. And uh, every once in a while, I'll still grab one at the store because I, I, I used to when I would go to on shopping trips, I would grab a diet soda. But I've completely eliminated that from my life. But I still like getting a drink. So it's not about the drug. It's about the habit. Uh, and every once in a while, I'll just choose a, a chocolate quick, even though it's very, very high in calories. Uh, I even like strawberry quick, uh, which has this really interesting aftertaste that is either amazing or terrible. And mm. uh, I, I can't decide which because it's not like Coke Zero, which is the great liars of soda, where you, you're drinking it and you're like, oh, this tastes like Coke. And then at the end, it's like, nope, Diet Coke. Ha-ha. But <laughs> <laughs> well, was, was there ever a moment uh, where you just couldn't buy, you know, big jugs of chocolate milk. Is that, you know, I, I forgot I wasn't buying food when I was a kid, but of course we had those tins of powder. And yeah. I don't, I know we also use syrup, but I don't know if the syrup was necessarily Nestle Quick. I can't remember that. I remember the tins. You know, today if I want chocolate milk, I'm just going to buy a jug of chocolate milk or a carton of chocolate milk. Or I don't think I've never seen a bag of chocolate milk. I I know that here in Canada we have milk in bags, and people kind of find that a little freaky. But there's no chocolate milk in bags. I don't think. Uh, <laughs> but you have a memory of this? It's like why? No, were actually, we... you know, I'm sure it was there, but we never got it because I'm assuming. Okay, so my dad did most of our food shopping by himself on Saturday mornings. 
he would get up like really super early because uh, he's one of these people that just wants to get up at like six o'clock every day. And I just don't understand it. But he would go and I, and I guess it was his time. He had his coupons. He had his process. So for most of my childhood, I, I, I would go shopping with my mother. Uh, and I'm sure, though, if I asked for it, she would go, no, you can't have that. That's way too much sugar for you. And, uh, you know, maybe tell me we have quick at home and it was easier that way. Maybe it's a fridge issue. Maybe, maybe. And I mean, if you're buying white milk, normal milk, milk, uh, then that this is the option for it's this is a treat, and you can turn any glass of milk into chocolate milk. Yeah. Without having it be, and I think it is more. Actually, I think the powder is more sugary than the. I don't think it's true that there is sugar in chocolate milk. Chocolate milk has cocoa in it, but it's not necessarily sweeter. I mean, I've been told it wasn't necessarily sweeter. Maybe this is also a Canadian difference. We have our own dairy, you know? I, yeah, I, I don't remember because it's not like I ever did like the Hershey syrup Nesquik challenge uh, where, you know, they you pretty much be able to tell because even though it was powder and even though it would it would bond with the milk, it was still a little gritty, whereas syrup just kind of bonds with it and makes this really thick molasses type drink. Yeah, I guess we, put it. we still have that today in the sense that if we make like hot chocolate, hot chocolate will be a powder very often. Yeah. Uh, so this is the, the cold uh, chocolate <laughs> version of it. Yeah, I, you know, I remember it from childhood, but I don't have a necessary – I mean, that's why I'm picking Superman, I suppose. Uh, I don't really have anything, a, a sort of – a strong memory of it from when I was a kid, except that it existed and we did have it in the house. I'm always fascinated with how things happen in other countries, especially <laughs> in English speaking countries. Part of that is the ugly American thing. Uh, you know, and, and, and if podcasting has taught me anything, it's that, um, yeah, we do a lot of things stupid here in the States, but I, I'm just, I, I'm caught on this bags of milk thing. And now I, I'm, I'm wondering what the thinking there is. <laughs> have a bag instead of a jug. You know, you can buy jugs, but usually I buy a carton, you know, like the the cardboard one. So I don't buy the bags of milk. But when we were kids, my mom used to buy the bags of milk. I think bags of milk were perhaps cheaper or you yeah. had more. You could buy more at a time. You had like uh, – because in your carton, that milk is going to go bad. So if you have a bunch of kids uh, but you want to still ration the milk, I suppose, you're buying – like I think bags of milk came in like threes. So you had three, or I guess it was like six liters of milk all in one go, and it's inside plastic. So it's not yeah. going to go bad. You know, it's not touching air in the way that your carton is. So, uh, and then you put it in, the, there's like a holder. Uh, so you put it inside that, it, it looks like a pitcher, sort of like special pitcher. You, you slide it into the pitcher, you snip off the corner, and then it, that's a spout. Whoop, it goes right down. Now it does mean that, Air gets through that that hole. Well, it's in the fridge for a while. It's like touching air, and I, I don't know how people feel about that. You know, I think milk doesn't go bad as quickly as people think it does. But and you always have to, to make sure if you cut the corner wrong or too big, then you know you, you just make messes whenever you try to, to to pour the milk. Just too much come out at the same time. So it, it could be the smaller kids sometimes screwed it up, and I, I know I did. And, <laughs> <laughs> so that's how bags of milk work. I don't know. I don't know why other people don't have it. But, you know, it's like the milkman dropping a bottle of milk. Now, I've never seen that. Yeah, we didn't have that. I think that was a little – that was on its way out by the time yeah. I was a kid. Uh, we would – though, though uh, when I was really young, 
my dad would, you know, I don't want to say he babysat us on the weekends because he was our father. He was a parent. It's not <laughs> babysitting. But my mom would usually work weekends and it was time, you know, dad was off. So it was our time to kind of, you know, have time with dad. And he would take us to this dairy right outside of Allentown and we get fresh bottles of milk and four. They were four for a dollar peppermint patties. Uh, and that was kind of like a treat. So. I remember getting bottles of milk, but we never had them delivered by anybody. And then, Mm. you know, the empty bottles picked up the next day. Uh, I also didn't expect us to get into this, but I think it is time to address the great conspiracy when it comes to expiration dates on most products, but especially milk. That is to shock you into drinking as much as possible to go buy another one. Really, if your fridge is cold enough, it'll last probably a week after that expiration date. And more. I've kept coffee cream and milk much, much longer. Like, if I look at the date, I don't look at the date. I I just smell it. And it's fine. (laughs) And then if I look at the date, it's like, oh, this is two months out of date. And it's still good, okay? So (laughs) they're just trying to make you pour it down the the, the sink just so you go get some more. Wake up, sheeple. (laughs) I have friends who, if something is has you know is on the the best buy date, you know, goes in the garbage immediately, and I'm like, what are you doing? They're they're so freaked about something going bad. Maybe they don't have the nose for it. It's it's bad when it smells bad. It's that simple. And if it's chunky, don't drink it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and sometimes you'll buy it, and it doesn't matter the due date. It it you know it got hit with some hot and then cold or something. And yeah, it's already a block of yogurt. <laughs> I mean, that happens. <laughs> I've had that happen as well. (laughs) All right. Well, I think Superman needs no introduction. So let's talk about Quick's history, especially as it pertains to the Quick Bunny. That's your job. Can you enlighten us, Michael? So Nestle's Quick first hit shelves in 1948. It was a chocolate powder produced by the Nestle Company, which was a Swiss... And I'm going to use a technical term here, a multinational food and drink company that was founded in 1866 and through a bunch of mergers and other business things. And I just probably offended Alan. Uh, It became a popular seller of candy and chocolate flavored drinks. When I was a kid, one of the big things was Nestle's Crunch, uh, which was uh, the Nestle chocolate with little Rice Krispies type things Mm -hmm. in it, uh, which now I can't stand. I liked it as a kid, not as an adult. It's too sweet. Yeah, Nestle is very sweet. I think uh, that's one of the problems that I have with it. While a bunny appeared on the packages of Strawberry Quick, uh, the Quick Bunny proper started appearing in commercials in 1973. The premise of these commercials was usually about the bunny's impulse control problems. He would always say, I'm going to drink this quick slow, but we ended up inhaling it. Uh, The voice of the bunny, by the way, was Barry Gordon, who is probably best known to people around our age as the voice of Donatello on the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles animated series. I also recognize him from an episode of the Incredible Hulk live action series. Uh, It was the one with Marky Post, which is one of the main reasons I think I remember it. And had a scene where the Hulk threw a bell tower and you could literally see the wires. But anyway, the bunny appeared in commercials throughout the 70s and 80s. He made the elite status of being a balloon in the Macy's Thanksgiving Parade in 1988 and remained in the lineup for 12 years. And those things were expensive. So that's actually kind of impressive. In 1999, the bunny went from being the quick bunny to the nest quick bunny and the Q on his chest became an N. Uh, at no point, though, does he ever take that symbol off and throw it at a kid. I'm actually kind of disappointed that that didn't happen in this comic. <laughs> but there are a lot of kids in the 
Uh, I mean, the commercials had kids. The commercials yes. were like cartoons, and they had kids. And this comic's also going to have the Quick Bunny uh, with kids. I think all of these uh, mascots that we saw in commercials on Saturday mornings uh, usually had an ensemble, and they're going to play with that in the comic itself. There was one commercial, though, because I watched about four or five of them while I was doing my research, uh, just because I haven't seen them in decades. Mm, same. And there's one that's actually kind of creepy, because it's him being let into the house by this like a, a middle-aged woman and she she ser- it's cold outside so she serves him uh hot quick basically she mixes it with a uh, warm milk uh and he drinks it slow because he doesn't want to like you know scald his throat but it's like there's this undercurrent that's all in my <laughs> head of like is she gonna kill him i mean did she lure him into the house and then Make him all logy with... Uh, so it's a Hansel with, and Gretel kind of... With, yeah, yeah. And then she's like, you know, suddenly she takes off her mask and it's Glenn Close from Fatal Attraction. Uh, not a good day for bunnies. No, not, not really. <laughs> yeah, no, but yeah, I mean, the shtick was usually that they would put a straw in it and then he'd drink it shoop, right the way down. Uh, all of these mascots were uh, very, very much into their product, which was probably why they were hired. You know, they were already... <laughs> they already had a substance abuse problem. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, I just picture 80s, like ultimate 80s quick bunny, where he's got like a mirror with the quick lined up and he's cutting it up with razor blades. <laughs> the, the comic itself is going to be a little more wholesome than yes. uh, imagine a 90s one. My God. Let's do the synopsis, shall we? It's called Quick Thinking, uh, but quick without the C, of course. Quick Thinking by writer Mike Carlin and artists Carmine Infantino and Dick Giordano. This this thing's got cred. Uh, yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> it goes a little like this. It's a nice day in Metropolis, and suddenly, flash floods. Superman leaps into action. Meanwhile, Miguel and Maureen, two members of the Quick Club, are discussing how they've finished building their clubhouse. The Quick Bunny is there as well, and decides to celebrate their efforts by drinking, well, Quick. I mean, what else would they be drinking in a Quick Club clubhouse? Uh, This is a shield piece for Quick, so, you know, whatever. The Bunny invites them to watch some cartoons, and they tune into a WGBS broadcast showing Superman doing Superman things. The kids think that Superman needs help for some reason, and instead of telling them that's insane, the Bunny points (laughs) out that Maureen, Miguel, Ronnie, and Patty, the Benetton ad that is in this comic book, all have special skills that could assist the Man of Steel. With that, they activate the flying feature on the clubhouse, and they are off to help Superman. Back in the city, the Weather Wizard is revealed as the culprit. He catches sight of Superman and throws a lightning bolt his way. The Man of Steel dodges it by zigzagging through the city until the the electricity hits the ocean. Back on the flying clubhouse, the kids do a word puzzle and figure out that the villain is the Weather Wizard. And they let Superman know this piece of information. Superman hears the warning thanks to his super hearing. Just before the weather wizard traps him in a block of ice, he starts to fall. The kids use the giant retractable claw thing that is in the clubhouse to grab Superman out of the air. Superman thanks them, but points out that, you know, he's invulnerable. 
The kids inform Superman that they think the Weather Wizard is bound for Washington, D.C. based on some wordplay. All right, then. Superman is off to Washington, D.C. at super speed. The bunny is bound and determined to continue helping Superman, so he gets the kids to use the hot air balloon feature that the club has to head to D.C. It seems the kids were right, and Washington, D.C. is being threatened by a massive tornado. Luckily, the city has been evacuated already. Then Superman notices that all the objects on a particular street have been taken into the twister, and he must grab them all before they do any damage. The winds are so strong, they uproot the Washington Monument, and the Man of Steel must drop everything to try and put it back in place, to the weather wizard's dismay. The kids fly their clubhouse into the tornado and do another puzzle to find the weather wizard. They do, and after one last gulp of quick, the bunny leaps out of the clubhouse and takes on the weather wizard. This distracts the wizard enough for the tornado to disappear, because if I was a supervillain used to fighting the Flash a bunny coming after me probably would throw me off. The wizard seems to want to take on the bunny, but decides to head off to Egypt instead. The winds subside, and Superman successfully puts the monument back in its spot. Superman thanks the bunny and then heads off to take care of the weather wizard. The bunny suggests that they help Superman one more time and do another puzzle to turn the clubhouse into a jet plane. The bunny and crew head to Egypt, where they meet a man that is speaking in code, which they translate thanks to another puzzle. There is a theme here. With that, they head to a pyramid to find Superman. Superman has, however, been delayed by a random mummy. He has to wrestle into submission. Maybe he does need the help. And that help comes in the form of the bunny unraveling the mummy. Superman is impressed, but they really shouldn't have followed him. This is a dangerous business. Told the Weather Wizard is inside the Big Pyramid, Superman starts ripping blocks of stone out to gain entry. And there's the meteorological mischief maker, holding his wand up and summoning bright sunshine that in a flash melts all the snow, causing a flood in the desert. Superman pulls the quick club out of the water, while the Weather Wizard rips priceless hieroglyphics uh, that prove the ancient Egyptians knew what the world map minus the new world precisely looked like off the wall. The wall breaks and the piece with the map falls to the ground and breaks apart. While the heroes are shocked, the rogue takes a small piece of the hieroglyphics and flies away on a sandstorm. Superman saves the kids and they do another puzzle to figure out where the wizard is gone. All clues point to China. Superman rebuilds the pyramid and then heads for China. The bunny once again puts the children in danger and they follow Superman to China. They are attacked by hail on the way and it's only by turning the clubhouse from a jet to a boat that they survive. They use the talents of the kids and an atlas to figure out where Superman has gone and thanks to a radio transmission they realize he's at the Great Wall. The hailstorm is unrelenting and Superman will never be done punching it into powder snow. He then notices the outline of the quick bunny in the line of fire, but it's a decoy. So when the weather wizard, skeeved at the champion of chocolate, throws a lightning bolt at him, it reflects back to him. Zap! They are falling, and the wizard realizes he doesn't have his wand, so the bunny throws him one. But the wand doesn't work. That's because it's not his real wand, but a straw, switched at super speed by the Man of Steel when the wizard momentarily dropped it. The weather wizard is defeated, and Superman joins the gang for a glass of quick back at the clubhouse. Superman and the bunny have a drinking contest, which the bunny wins. Superman thanks him and the kids for their help, because he couldn't have defeated the weather wizard without them. Definitely not. <laughs> no, it, it was all those kids. 
so, what do you think of this? Obviously, it's a shill piece, but yeah. uh, how does it how does it work for you as as a story? Uh, okay, the quick money needs to be taken away from any and all children. Uh, if, <laughs> if he, 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 I mean, I, I wanted to make a joke in the synopsis that he invites them to go watch something and then make a joke about a certain episode of Different Strokes. Uh, but I didn't want to go too dark. But yeah, he he's just a terrible influence. But I will say this. The art in this issue is amazing. Like like the Tandy specials and all that, they usually had really good art, which you're kind of surprised at. Because like you, we've been saying, this is a show piece. This is an advertising things to get people who like Superman to drink quick. I do need to get a physical copy of this because <laughs> it was published in 1987. And that's within the post-crisis. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's written by Mike Carlin. Mike Carlin, and you've got Carmine Infantino and Dick Giordano. So basically, they didn't pull anyone off the line. They just took the editors and yeah. the publishers and, you know, <laughs> the, the guys that had graduated to, like, the bigger things, to bureaucratic positions. They're going to do this Superman story. You know, I wonder if one of them, you know, brokered the deal with Quick. With Nestle. <laughs> and it's interesting because there are certain pages where it's very obviously it's a Infantino Superman. And then on other pages, it's like, no, that's more of a Giordano. So it's interesting how Giordano's inks would be kind of more heavier and then lighter. Uh, and choosing the Weather Wizard as the villain is kind of ingenious because it's infant Infantino. It's right. He co-created the character, but it also reminded me, in hindsight, of the Flash episode of the Superman animated series because it was the Flash and Superman teamed up against the Weather Wizard. Weather Wizard, yeah, yeah, as voiced by Miguel Ferrer, which is probably one of my favorite episodes of the team up episodes that the Superman animated series had. So that it's like this thing had so much going for it, like on the first page, <laughs> like I was, <laughs> I was expecting to get into this and I'm like, Oh man, I'm going to have to find something good to say about this. And it's like, no, the story's silly, but man, is it nice to look at the bunny obviously has an addiction to quick and someone needs to talk to him about that. And, and my big note, which will surprise no one is I, and really disappoint Rob, uh, is that I was disappointed that the great wall of China, uh, China was not damaged only to be repaired by Superman. Just looking at it. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I had the that's same a missed opportunity. I had the same thought, <laughs> uh, you know, with his, um, I think it's, it was meant to be in Superman uh, four. I think it was meant to be a weaponized version of him turning the Earth, you know, in reverse in this first one. It was supposed to be time reversal vision, which, of course, is a classic Superman power. And and if you read the (laughs) comic adaptation, which I actually do recommend, uh, it has this beautiful John Byrne Ordway cover, and it, it really cashes checks for Nuclear Man that... As much as I like the movie, it can never cash. But in the comic, they show him putting it back together with super speed, which was, of course, you know, their original intention until the uh, fine folks at Canon Film cut the budget in half. And then it became lack of special effects budget vision. Yeah, well, it's an amazing uh, sequence where uh, yeah, <laughs> I think it probably the last drop for me. I mean, I had a lot of problems. And I, you know, I, I'm talking about myself at whatever age watching it in a movie theater at 16 or 17 or whatever I was and uh, finding it terrible. The only good thing about that movie, and I know we're totally on a tangent here, the only good thing really about that movie is that my half-sister, I saw it in Texas, and my half-sister, I don't know, she's like three, four, something like that. 
Uh, she's very young. And as soon as Superman flew at the screen, whenever the first time Superman flew at the screen, music swells, Superman comes in, and she screams, Superman! You know, like a little kid really, Aww. really into it. It's so cute. That, that is my memory of that film. So uh, I at least have that. You know, a little blonde girl shouting at the screen. <laughs> but back to the Quick Bunny, uh, his fateful meeting with, the, with Superman. Uh, so this had a lot of... Um, we sort of hinted at it during the, the synopsis, but the issue has a lot of puzzles for the reader to, to solve. Uh, and so we're with the kids, we're in the kids' minds, I guess, and we're doing the same puzzles, and they're going to give us the answer that, frankly, is often <laughs> spoiled way before. I, yeah. I feel like it's like three panels before, they tell us it's the Weather Wizards. Crap, who is it? Solve the puzzle. It's the Weather Wizard. Well, no shit. So, you know, and it keeps doing that. Uh, I'm not too sure that they integrated the puzzles the best that they could have. Or I mean, in the sequence. It's one of those conceits of these things. Like, judging this comic was difficult because... You're not judging an issue of Superman. You're not even really judging an issue of like DC Comics Presents, which lives or dies on the interplay between the character and 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 Superman, right? So mm-hmm. so you kind of make allowances for that. But when I was a kid, puzzles like this weren't hard for me, and I didn't really consider myself to be the smartest kid. So I'm wondering if I was 11, if this thing would have just bored me to tears. And now I would look back on it lovingly. So I, I just, I'm, I'm so, I'm kind of conflicted because I'm like, these t- puzzles are stupid, but they're part of the shtick. So can I really get mad at them? And the answer is probably not. Well, they, actually, they did put them in the story. I mean, yeah. if you look at, rarely do you see puzzles in comics unless it's something like this, like a weird specialty product that, you know, your grocery store had or something. But um, the Super Friends, the All Ages. DC Kids or whatever they were calling it, uh, as far as an imprint goes, the super friends that they had a few years back with uh, basically the Justice League and a cartoonish cartoonish kind of look. That was full of puzzles. The similar activities and paper dolls and that kind of stuff that's kind of retro uh, in a way. But it was, it was meant for kids. But none of the puzzles were really part of the stories. It's such like, here's a special page. It's like a pinup, uh, but it's a connect the dots. Here's this pinup, but it's... Uh, some sort of um, crossword puzzle or find the mistakes or stuff like that, right? But they're not part of the story. So here they're at least putting in in the story. It's like something the kids have to solve to help Superman. And in a way, you're helping Superman because you're one of the kids. You're also drinking the, the, the chocolate milk, which is in this, uh, at least for the quick bunny, this is like brain food. It makes him smarter and <laughs> he thinks quicker. I don't know what's in there. What is this powder? but yeah no i mean you know it's got that element going for it i think since they're part of the story it's not like flip the page this is a long story it's like 32 pages uninterrupted there's an ad at the beginning and ad at the end for quick there's an ad for superman an ad for quick and another ad for quick later i think and that's it and coloring pages yeah exactly there's still activities uh although i imagine they were on glossy papers it's not not the best for uh, for coloring. Yeah, this is something that would benefit from a digital like redo, where you could like you know use you know part of your iPad. Most iPads you can take an image and and just color into it. Mm-hmm. So maybe you could do that and and somehow do the activities as well. 
without ruining the comic. Did you have a favorite uh, country? Because this is also supposed to be kind of educational, so we're going to see different parts of the uh, the U.S. and other countries just to make it more exotic or just really to extend the story longer and longer and longer because it's pretty much every chapter is the same where Weather Wizard causes a different meteorological event then Superman comes in and the kids come in and somehow he doesn't get caught. Weather Wizard is uh, used to somebody much faster <laughs> getting after him so he escapes every time. Uh, so it's rinse repeat all the way through but we do get these different locales. Did you have a f- favorite weather problem slash place? Washington, D.C. will always be a favorite place, not because, you know, it's the capital of our country. But when I was a kid, two of my aunts, my mom's younger sisters, lived in Virginia and Maryland. And they were within like an hour or so of D.C. And we went on many an occasion to the Smithsonian. We went to the Tom. There's a picture I have uh, that uh, my sisters found of us at the Jefferson Memorial mm-hmm. when I was like a really little kid with uh, fake Ray-Bans on. And uh, I remember in, in, 19, uh, in 1987, as a matter of fact, we went and got to see the Superman 50th anniversary exhibit that was at the uh, National History Museum. Uh, and it was like the first time that the museum had something for me. Uh, and we would go to the art museums and it was just it was just something we would do as a family. And because, you know, the zoo and and I just I love D.C. as a tourist attraction and not the cesspool of corruption that it really is. Fun fact of all the places that we see in the comic, uh, that's the only place that I ever visited. Yeah, Yeah, I was 10 years old. So but I remember the museums, the aerospace museum. Oh, that's always fun. Uh, So that I was that was what, 1981, probably when I went. But no, I've never been to Metropolis. That's clearly (laughs) <laughs> and uh, neither have I gone to China or uh, Egypt. I would not recommend these places in the recent days. You know. Yeah, I was about to say, world travel <laughs> at this point is probably a bad idea. Yeah, Traveling uh, outside of your house is probably a bad idea. And Metropolis uh, doesn't exist in our reality, you know, sadly. Kind of. So, kind of does, but doesn't. What, what do you think it is? Is it is Metropolis New York? Is Metropolis <laughs> Toronto? Is it Cleveland? So, uh, What's, it's, what's it's your preferred... <laughs> it's it's interesting that you ask because uh, one of my best friends growing up, I found out when we got out of high school that she was a huge Superman fan. She grew up watching the George Reeves series. Mm. And she said, and we we got in these conversations about it, and she said that her friends thought it was Chicago because it was the Windy City. So Superman flying around would cause wind. I, I have a soft special place in my heart for metropolis illinois which uh except for this year unfortunately uh due to recent events it was canceled uh hosts an annual superman celebration four days it's it's part uh comic book convention part small town fair because like at one end of the street it's 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 all on like the main street is where all the action takes place and on one end, you have the Superman statue and you have cosplayers milling about and people like buying, you know, funnel cakes and stuff like that. And on the other end, motocross. And it's just <laughs> it's just this weird but really down home kind of fun time. And everyone is there to have a good time. No one's there to be a jerk. And like my wife and I went and we're like, OK, this is our one trip to Metropolis. And even though we haven't been back, we're like, we're going back someday. Because it's just so much fun. That's my answer, and I'm sticking to it. That's all right. That's good. I'm just still blown away that Mike Carlin wrote this. I opened that up, and I went, really? Okay. Yeah. That 
was not what I was expecting. <laughs> Who gets these assignments, you know? Somebody at the Superman offices, well, I mean, is that he was at the Superman offices at the time. Yep. You know, somebody said, uh, or he asked, you know, any of you guys want to do this? Jerry? Uh, Marv? <laughs> <laughs> and they went, you know, you, you're going to do this one yourself. Sorry. <laughs> it's funny, though, when you think about it, because he was an assistant editor and editor at Marvel Comics uh, for most of the early 80s. And if you believe uh, Sean Howe's The Untold, Marvel The Untold Story, yeah, uh, he got on the wrong side of Jim Shooter and towards the end of his tenure was like writing Chuck Norris and the Karate Commandos and Transformers. So it's like he gets to DC. It's like, okay, you're going you're gonna to be assisting Andrew Helfer on editing Superman. And here's a quick bunny thing to write. I, I, I can't ask him how it happened. Uh, because you got to go through DC, like you know, people to ask him questions about these things. But I am curious. I really am. <laughs> so am I. Uh, but at the same time, they had like a lot of freedom to do what they wanted because there's no way the Weather Wizards in there, and that's not Infantino's call. Yeah, you know. Yeah, exactly. He's not a Superman villain. There's no connection there. But it was like an easy way to do threats, dangers. It's not Superman punching a bad guy. It's Superman dealing with uh, disasters. And that's that's a, an easy formula and also kid-friendly. Who fared better? This debate that we have every show, who who wins the, the issue? Is it the Quick Bunny or Superman? First, how well does this fit each of their stories or atmospheres? In other words, is this more of a Superman story or is it more of a Quick Bunny story. Oh, this is definitely much more of a Superman story. Quick Bunny stories are usually, it's bedtime, and I'm going to have a glass of Quick, and I want to stay up later, so I'm going to drink this really slow. But again, I have poor impulse control, so I suck it right down, and I have to go to bed. Not, I'm going to drink this glass of Quick, and you know the Mirror Master is going to show up and start <laughs> messing with the kids. <laughs> Who have a transforming clubhouse that turns into various vehicles. That they built. I mean, these kids are talented. They're like the whiz kids of this, right? They're like the whiz kids from the Tandy uh, shield pieces. There's a team up. Well, there, it does exist. So I'm surprised that you that you would call this a Superman story. To me, it actually was the opposite. I felt it was no. more of a quick bunny story. Not because, obviously, the commercials have a very limited narrative drive. Uh, but still, it's there's so much of the Quick Bunny and the kids in here. Superman is sort of almost in the background. Just listen to the synopsis. Whenever it's my turn to, to, to speak, I just go, Superman's A-OK, and he flies over, over, over there. Superman leaps into action. And that's all I got to say, because he's there because he needs to be there. He's not facing one of his own villains, so it doesn't matter. He's not in Metropolis more than a few pages, you know, which, of course, is a Superman thing, but it's still not very Superman-centric. There are no supporting cast characters for Superman, but there are five Quick Bunny characters, you know, and multiple vehicles, and so almost like they were... Like they wanted to sell toys of this stuff that never existed, but you know, collect them all, all the vehicles or the transforming vehicles. And there's also, you know, they're always breaking for these puzzles, which is what the kids are doing. So there's much more quick bunny material in there uh, than there is Superman material. So I feel like Superman is very much a slave to the selling of this product, which is a quick bunny thing to do. Yeah, you, you got a point because the quick bunny is there to sell quick. Superman is there because he got a DUI and this is his community. Uh, 
his community support thing that he has to do to to, to stay out of jail, essentially. Mm-hmm. At the end, Superman does drink quick. So I, I feel like this, this is more of a quick bunny thing. Mm. What about cool moves? Uh, maybe that'll separate the, the, I don't know, the cream from the rest of the milk. I don't know how that works. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what is the quick bunny's coolest move? I, I think switching the wand at the end is. I really do. I think I think him actually kind of taking on the Weather Wizard at all is kind of brave for for the bunny. So Flash's villains are not like Batman's villains, you know. Uh, well, except when Jeff Johns, you know, retooled them in in the early two thousands. But for for the majority of their existence, uh, especially up to this point in eighty seven, the rogues were kind of fine. They were a band of criminals that really weren't uh, outside of the Reverse Flash or Abracadabra, they really weren't out to hurt anyone. They just wanted to rob a bank and, and use their special thing to do that. But still, they're criminals. I mean, they, they, they go to jail. You know, jail is not easy. So the quick bunny not only taking on the Weather Wizard, but doing that kind of wand switch at the end uh, was actually my favorite part of his end. of the movie. For Superman, I'd say it's the same move. Superman gets played a lot. I mean, Superman should have been able to catch the Weather Wizard page one, you know, or as soon as he knew he was there, that should have been the end of it. You know, Superman's too powerful uh, for this kind of shenanigans. But uh, so it basically makes Superman look bad all the way through. So the straw thing where he switches it and then uh, the quick bunny switches it or does the whole decoy thing that makes it happen. They're working in tandem. It's that, I think that's the cool thing is that finally, throughout the issue, it's just the quick bunny coming in, wanting to help. Superman's got it under control. And whenever the kids help, by the next panel, it would have been solved anyway. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> you know, unravel the mummy, if you will. But I mean, Superman could have done that himself. It's, you know, none of this. Uh, but then... At the end, they're actually working together. And I think Superman deciding that the Quig Bunny is a fair partner in this enterprise uh, and seeing that the Quig Bunny has a, like, a clever idea and then playing on that, uh, saying, okay, yeah, I'll complete the plan, like an unspoken scheme between them. I think that's probably the coolest bit. Dumb or weird moves. I mean, this, this thing's full of them. But what is the Quig Bunny's weirdest or dumbest move? Child endangerment. <laughs> I mean, I mean, to be fair, the 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 clubhouse turning from just flying on its own to turning into a hot air balloon to turning into a jet plane to turning into a boat. That's trying to be cool but failing. But the the bunny's just like, yeah, we just helped Superman. But you know what? We should continue helping him. It's just like, what is the is the bunny like like high on the action? Like like is he is like oh this is the first time I actually get to do something besides drink this stuff and watch TV with these kids? So let me see what I can. But like if Jeff Johns redid this story, the Quick Bunny would have hated every single one of these kids and was just putting them through their paces to make them better you know like better heroes or something. And one of them would have ended up with a sword through his back. But you know that's, that's just me. Uh, again, the like evil 90s or 2000s <laughs> reboot bunny. For Superman, I think it's, uh, again, it's towards the end. It's punching Hale into submission. To me, it's the stupidest idea that, you know, it's like he's got to punch every hailstone. Uh, there has to be a better way. Would Hale really destroy the Great Wall of China? It's a close call because... Uh, I could also have given it to Superman finding a pyramid and ripping it apart 
to, yeah. to get the, the, vil- the villain inside. These pyramids that are thousands of years old, historical and precious, let's just demolish it. Uh, and then he re- has to rebuild it later. Well, the same with the wall. You could have rebuilt the wall just like you did yeah. in Superman 4. Uh, there are a number of moments where I'm going... I'm not too sure about this. And sometimes it's not Superman's fault. Sometimes it's just the physics. You know, when when objects are flying around the twister, uh, one of the objects is a um, fire hydrant. But the street just had like that fire hydrant not connected to to a pipe. It's just like there's just it just lifted up uh, and there's no hole there. So there's just a lot of wonky stuff that's just kind of silly. But Superman himself... I'm going to say Punching Hailstones. I think that's dumb. Yeah. I mean, this isn't like Ming the Merciless hot hail. What about the friendly farewell? So these guys at the end have a goodbye. Who wins the social game here? I, I think Superman does by letting the Quick Bunny beat him in the drinking contest. Because I'm pretty sure Superman could have done it faster. But, you know, it's it's kind of like this is almost the Quick Bunny's book. So even though Superman's there, he's there as a guest star. So he's not going to, like, take the, uh, you know, win everything at the end. Uh, this isn't a, it, this ain't no triple at all, you know, type ending. But it's fun. It's not even close, that contest. I think Superman's just leisurely enjoying the chocolate milk. <laughs> or, or not really drinking it much at all. Because you hear, like, a uh, double slurp. And I don't know if that's you're supposed to be like a second glass, but the the bunny, his glass is empty, and Superman, his glass is still full. Also, size difference in the glasses. I don't think that's a fair fight. The the quick bunny has a smaller glass. Yeah, everything's thrown for the quick bunny in this thing. <laughs> it's a cute moment, and of course it has to end that way with Superman also saying, yes, this milk is legit, or this powder or syrup is legit. All right, well, we'll take a a break for a couple of promos, and then we'll be back with our bonus team-ups. Coming soon from Amalgam Comics. He was raised on a dairy farm, but with his Chaco powers innate to the people of Quickton, he secretly championed to all the little children, Quick Man! Milk will never be the same again. In the next sweet-toothing issue, a mysterious irradiated power from his home planet covers the Earth. Can Quickman outrace the lethal rays of the deadly Quicktonite? Hey everyone, my name is Michael Bailey, and I like Superman. Like, a lot. Like, He's my favorite character. I like him so much that I have podcasted about the Man of Steel more than any other character. Back in 2017, I started a show called It All Comes Back to Superman to serve as the monthly reaffirmation of my Kryptonian faith. And most of those will be part of a series I'm calling Superman is for Everybody. Superman is for Everybody springs from my desire to talk to people that have channeled their love and affection for the character into other avenues, like cosplay, or podcasting, or academia. It all comes back to Superman as part of the Fortress of Bailitude podcasting network, which can be found at www.fortressofbailitude.com. The show is available through Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, and it's even on Spotify. It all comes back to Superman. Because really, it does. Give me a few minutes and I'll make the connection. Why are you walking away? I'm not done talking to you yet. 
We're back. Our final feature, the bonus team up, in which each of us proposes, in this case, a perfect quick bunny team up. We've seen the superhero version of this. <laughs> what's the what's your version of this? Okay, the quick bunny and Bugs Bunny in a story called "I Hear You." Uh, the two meet, decide to see who can mess with Elmer Fudd and Yosemite Sam the most. The two villains realize they're being conned and try to get the upper hand, but fail because you know they have to. Bugs ultimately wins because he keeps putting glasses of quick in the bunny's way, and the bunny can't resist them. Maybe the quick bunny could retaliate by just with carrots. Yeah. Which is the more normal uh, bunny food. You know, Bugs has his own little substance uh, or, you know, food addiction issue. And in the, in the interest of full disclosure, I Hear You is not my title. Uh, oh. In the Tom DeHaven novel, It's Superman, uh, he devotes the first part of the book to Clark as a as a senior in high school. And it talks about how he wants to write science fiction stories, like for the pulps. And one of them was going to be about a barber that can find memories in the clippings of the politicians and other uh, wealthy people that come to his barber shop. And he uses that to blackmail them. And the story title that they came up that uh, DeHaven attributed to it was I Hair You. So I just changed the spelling of hair and, and, and transposed it here. So A very deep cut, Mr. Bailey. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like the deep cuts. For me, I also went with a bunny. Uh, I, I think that's our minds went immediately. What other rabbit can we team up with the quick bunny? Uh, I'm, uh, I'm staying in commercial land. I'm teaming him up with the Trix rabbit. And he has to join forces uh, with him because of a milk shortage engineered by, I decided, Marvel's Hell Cow. And <laughs> they succeed, but uh, Quickie realizes that Trix has a substance abuse problem and must intervene to get his friend some help. It's the gritty milk-related product story you didn't know you needed. But, I mean, and if it, I guess the Quick Bunny also realizes that he's got a problem by helping his friend who has a definite problem. The Trix rabbit obviously has a problem with the his particular cereal brand and Mm -hmm. together you know they find they find a place of healing is basically what this is going to be it's a big psa we're selling products but we're also saying you know moderation moderation kids you know it just (laughs) occurred to me that that um if we were going to go with other cereal and and children's food icons that teamed up with superman we could also go with tony the tiger who appeared Mm. in several of the George Reeves commercials. That's right. Uh, that's right. Frosted Flakes. So uh, in person. But Tony was always more like the gym coach. Yeah, Tony isn't he's not one of these uh mascots who is sort of addicted to his own product. You yeah, know exactly. Tony's level headed. <laughs> Tony's got it under control. He yeah. can maintain. Here here's the Tony the Tiger team up. You got Tony and Superman on one one side and you got Captain Marvel and Takitani on the other. Uh, oh. and, uh, so it's like Earth S meets Earth One plus Talking Tigers. <laughs> and if Grant Morrison wrote it, that fight between Tawny and D- Tony would be this really bloody affair. Tony and Tawny, you know, it's like yeah. uh, it's, it's irresistible. I, I'm sure we could do this all day. Yeah, uh, I was about to say, we could probably <laughs> sit here and talk about like food icons and bring in Captain Crunch and 
you know, the, the, the cookie crisp criminals and stuff like that. So, but yeah, we got to stop. We were kids in the eighties watching, uh, you know, watching these commercials. So thanks for teaming up with me, Michael Bailey. Uh, remind people where they can find you and what you're working on right now. Uh, the fortress of Bailey com, which has been very active this year, actually mm. kind of trying to make an effort of editing all the stuff that I've had lying around for uh, the last year. You got episodes of from crisis to crisis, which is all about the post-crisis adventures of Superman. You've got Overlook Dark Knight, where we are finishing up our 80th, uh, Batman's 80th birthday celebration and going into a probably five-month run about the Jim Starlin run of Batman. So uh, Andy and I are looking forward to that. And there's other fun stuff. And uh, I, 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 every time I say it, 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 it feels like not real. But there's honestly, between all of my shows, about 600 different episodes of stuff you can listen to. Uh, so if you're stuck in the house and want to hear me rambling about comics, either by myself or with friends, uh, that's the place to go. There you go. Uh, I'll let you go back to that and um, you know finish my own chocolate milk here. I'll stick around for feedback uh, from our previous episode. Thanks again, Michael. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Thank you so much, Discoid. The time is out of joint. The time is out of joint. Time is out of joint. The year is 1994 or 1944 or maybe 2994. Time is under threat and history is falling apart. Who will survive this crisis and how will history be changed for those that do? Zero Hour Strikes takes you back to that DC Comics crossover and covers the entire story. Issue by issue, tie-in by tie-in, as the DC Universe goes down to zero. Join Bass and Siskoid at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on iTunes, Zero Hour Strikes, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Remember Legion. Excerpts from our previous episode, Superman and Power Girl, my guest was Mike Staley, uh, here's what he had to say. Rob Kelly says, I just cannot take Maldor seriously because of his little orphan Annie rumors era Fleetwood Mac haircut. Great Gil Kane cover, though. And says, I covered this book at some point on my site, of course, the Power Girl Supergirl Connection. He says, the ending with Maldor overwhelmed by his own madness always felt like a cop-out. He shows up in Crisis on Infinite Earths as part of the villains trying to stop Krona from seeing the beginning of the universe. I'm pretty sure he dies there. And I think he is the villain of DCCP uh, issue with the Joker. Maybe Superman needed the Joker's madness to combat the insane dimension of Maldor's own mind. Like you, Siskoid, I don't think of Power Girl and Supergirl being the same character uh, like I do other Earth 1 and 2 folks. They definitely have different vibes. It is why so little of PG is reviewed on my site. As for the cover, I think so much of this is derived from the Pieta. Whenever I open up the can of worms of Crisis Number 7 homages, someone shows me a Batman cover from the 50s of Batman holding Robin like this. I don't know if Perez liked this cover so much uh, to model Crisis Number 7 after it, and alas, since he doesn't go to cons anymore, I won't be able to ask him. Nobody's going to cons anymore. And you're right, Maldor's story is continued in DC Comics Presents number 65 with Madame Xanadu, then number 72, uh, in which Superman teams up with the Phantom Stranger, and also the Joker gets cover billing on that one. Maldor uh, also appears in Tales of the Green Lantern Corps annual number one, and then Crisis, and then Animal Man's Limbo, basically. And all of those, except for that Limbo one, are by Paul Kupperberg. 
So there's a full story here that I didn't hint at because, well, I don't know. Do I really want to make a series of these um, where Maldor is the villain? Do I? Lizanne Oswald says, impressive podcast. Uh, cool seeing Soups and Power Girl teaming up. And she thinks she'll pass on taking a look at her own inner evil. The villain kind of looks like the drummer from the Cartoon Network heavy metal cartoon. Or an evil version of John Oates from Holland Oates. So Maldor uh, really has... Uh, at the very least, Maldor evokes other people. Chris Franklin says, I think the notion of both the Earth 2 Superman and Power Girl only being able to leap great distances came and went at the creator's discretion. They sure seemed to fly around a lot, then suddenly in story they couldn't, then they could again. So that doesn't help us with the timeline at all. Tim Price says, uh, vast cosmic power, check, comes from his own universe, check, makes lesser beings fight each other, check, curly hair, Check. Oh my God, Maldor is the Beyonder. Always a treat to see early Power Girl. I'm just starting to dig into those appearances on the DCU app, so thanks for pointing this one out. The cover was three years after X-Men 136. Just interesting from opening that can of worms for Crisis number 7. So yeah, it's all La Pieta. Well, at this point, I mention our Patreon, patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. If you like this sort of content and would like to hear more, uh, please think about leaving a contribution, whether monthly or one time. And you can unlock rewards. For example, Alan W. Wright is a specific sponsor of this show. And I've never done this before, but I'm going to start. If you're a specific sponsor of this show, like Alan, you're going to get to team up with a random character. So hold on, Alan, who are you teaming up with this uh, month? Ah, Zatanna. So I'm sending you on a date with Zatanna. She's going to be on stage. You're going to support her through her act. And afterwards, late dinner. And then when obviously there's going to be like some sort of demonic, uh, mystical threat coming out of the candles or something. You're on your own after that. I just set you up. And you could be like Alan uh, in mortal danger <laughs> with a superhero, uh, not of your choice, but randomly picked from just looking at, uh, you know, quick covers and pointing blindly at my screen to get someone. So on that, a reminder that we do enjoy reading your comments. That The best place for that is fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can also visit the Fire and Water Podcast Network Facebook page or Twitter. The account is FW Podcasts. You can also listen to the show on Spotify now. So just if that's how you prefer to listen to podcasts, search for FW Team Up and you'll find it. See you next time for another amazing superhero team up because after all, justice is a team effort. Drink Nestle Quick Chocolate Flavor. Gee, now that I'm a big bunny, I know I can drink it slow. I don't know, bunny. Nestle Quick is rich and thick and chocolate. That's the thing about birthdays and quick. They both go so fast. <laughs>